Mornings. Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two of the program, it is brought to you by Spruce It Up Garden Center, your one-stop shop for the best plants, trees, pots, and decor, and the greenest grass. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. They got you covered. Big-time win for the Calgary Flames last night. 4-1 down in Dallas. They even the best of seven opening round series at two games apiece. Corey Sarich, former Flame, and uh, almost a former Dallas star at one point. What? All they love, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it Everybody would have been calling, right? No one's checking in. Yeah. Like what? What NHL team at, at some point during Corey Sarge's career wouldn't have called Buffalo or Tampa? Well, said, I think hey, right after the cups when you do it. How do we? Stock can't be higher than that. How do we get this rugged defender off of your hands? This hulking individual on the blue line, neutralizing chances, getting it out of his own end. General managers, you know what they would do? They just laugh and hang up the phone. That's comical. Thanks for calling. Uh, good to see you, Corey. How are you? Great, thanks. How are you, gentlemen? Well, we're okay. Better than yeah. we could be. I'm, well, I'm telling you, the, the adrenaline and all that, I think, is still a thing. It's going to wear off at some point here after a, about a, I'm going to say, I'm going to say about a three-hour nap is what we had last night. Mm. About a three-hour nap. So yeah, it was a nap. It wasn't asleep. At some point here, it's, it's all going to come, come loose. You asked me off-air earlier, so I'm going to start here. At what point during last night's game did you feel comfortable that the Flames were going to find a way to steer it home? Are you asking that to yourself? Because I know what it was for me, but I'm a nervous Nelly. I mean, it, you are a nervous Nelly. Sagan makes a threat. Oh, for God, God, jeez. Oh, You're probably the backland empty netter, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, please, we need an empty netter. This has got, we need a three goal cushion here with nine seconds left. I don't, I don't, I can't relax. I'm wondering for you, you played, it's a little bit different. You've been in this scenario. Well, I was sure happy that they got the first one. I was nervous up until that point. Mm -hmm. That kind of gives a, just takes a little bit of the pressure off, gives you a little bit of wiggle room. But yeah, I was, I heard that your son was cursing the goaltender last night. May have been doing a little bit of that myself. He, (laughs) he was, he was pretty steady again. Ottinger was making it look easy. He was well positioned again. They had some fantastic chances. They couldn't convert. I was like, oh boy. Mm -hmm. Feeling it. Here we go. Here we go. I got very comfortable after they went up two. Extremely comfortable after three, but I didn't really like the finish. I know I was like, you know, it's 3 1. Then you'd get in a little bit of penalty trouble. I'm like, don't go do this. We don't need some dramatic comeback right now. Yeah, it's like you forget that the other team is going to pull the goalie and there's a really good chance they're going to pour on some pressure and have glorious... (laughs) There's going to be some glorious scoring. Oh, right, yeah. They don't have a goalie in, but they're going to be very strong here for a period of time. Given the the tone of the series, the 2-0 penalty shot goal was huge. But then again, you're like, oh, there's a 6-4 for a while here. No one's going for the exits yet. Yeah, I guess it was two minutes, right? When Sagan scores... At 15.03 to make it a uh, a two-goal game. Backlund takes a penalty in at 17.04, so there's essentially three minutes remaining, and they're like, yep, let's go. It's like, yeah, there's there's a lot of time here. Mm-hmm. Like, too much time. Those, but, those... but that said, I was still, I thought the 2 nothing was it. Just the way that in this series, when in doubt, it's been a save, not a goal. You know what goes through my mind? Back to the Dallas series. Oh, no. 
The Labardius call? They were up 3 nothing in that game that they lost 7-3, right? Oh, the blowout game. The, the blowout Tal- game? Talbot's loss is a flame. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember watching that. All right. Still some life. This thing's going to come back around. Here we go. No. And I was like, you had it. You, are, are we going to be doing this show tomorrow that you had it at 2-2? You played a glorious game and then. But that's me because I'm a nervous Nelly. So anyway. Yeah, and you know what? Like this team has to shake those ghosts of playoffs past. And last night was a part of that process. It isn't the same team. It isn't the same coach. It isn't the same group that didn't have guys that have gone the distance before. And, you know, in 2019, it wasn't this goalie. It wasn't the goalie in the bubble. But you still have to – that scar tissue exists, right? And it's part of that maturing process that Daryl talks about. Not so much that they need to do it, but that they've not yet experienced that as a group. Getting into the playoffs and having success. And last night was a great – stepping stone for them, and trusting your process. Last night, the Calgary Flames did not throw the puck away. The Calgary Flames repeatedly cycled the puck, repeatedly trapped the Dallas Stars in their own end, wore them down, they forced their D-men. I was so impressed with the pressure that the Flames forwards put on their top defensemen. John Klingberg, I've got him three or four times in my notes, absolutely coughing up pucks. Because he's he's not a real physical guy. He might be pretending to be early in this series. Mm-hmm. He coughed up a couple pucks for great chances. Ultimately, Lindholm's goal, if you rewind it and you look back, he's out there for that one, and he gives a puck away. He doesn't do enough with it. He doesn't protect it because they're wearing him down, and they started to wear the goalie down with all those shots. Yeah, you mentioned, do you, do you, was there a moment where he, because off the air you mentioned it, I want you to bring that up. Yeah, I'm watching, you know, Ottinger. He's rock solid again, and it's 2-0 for the Calgary Flames. And they come down the ice, and I can't remember who slipped it across on a little two-on-two over to Trevor Lewis. He takes a great shot. Ottinger makes another phenomenal save, and they just miss cashing in on the rebound. While Ottinger's on one knee, he gets up. He can barely get back to his feet because he's so exhausted. That was shot 49. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they got him. They're getting to this guy. I'm like, this is working. The process is working. It was moments later. Lindholm gets one in the slot. There's a breakdown. Klingberg doesn't do a very good job. Doesn't gap up. They cash in. 3-0. I'm like, it's all coming together. That was a great game in all facets. And they were calm. They actually, they stuck with it. Maybe overhandled pucks on a few of their power plays. But that's probably in part to Ottinger. He's made so many phenomenal saves that they think, like, we got to get this to a spot where we're putting it in an empty net. And they've been having shots blocked. Mm-hmm. Don't don't throw it away. Wait for it. Be more selective on your shots and that and that whole thing. And another part I wanted to ask you about, because Eric Francis wrote about it. If you want to go to sportsnet.ca, his latest one, he's kind of characterizing it as the shift. They score on the power play. Anderson makes it one nothing. Shortly thereafter, they go to work five on five. And how they didn't draw a penalty or or score is still amazing. But the numbers, it's four minutes for Klingberg, four minutes for uh, Jason Robertson. Haskinen was out there a bunch. They couldn't change. And I wonder with Klingberg, as that game goes along, and I know they talked about it on the broadcast, do you ever really get your full win back in the course of a 60 minute, even if you've got a TV timeout or an intermission or whatever, once you've absolutely been gassed, Mm -hmm. the tank has gone right to E. 
Do you ever get back to where you need to be within the next 15, 20 minutes? Nope. You definitely don't. Got all that lactic acid in there. Good yeah, luck to you. Yeah, 100%. There's a reason, too, why they give you five minutes after a fight. If you've ever had a fight in the NHL or in any type of hockey league, you're exhausted. you got to go sit in the box for five minutes to recoup. I can't imagine skating around and chasing guys for four minutes out there. I'm sure I probably had one or two of those sometime in my career, but they were absolutely gassed, and it's one of my favorite sayings out there. Those boys were seeing elephants. It's great. They, so, and whose is that? Is that Jason Collimore? I, I don't know where that came from, but. And what is it? Just, so, just, peop- it. just so people know. Oh, when you're so exhausted, little elephants running around in your head. Your brain you, you just can't, leaves. You can't concentrate. <laughs> your tongue's dragging. Tyler Sagan, I was loving watching him. He just had cement boots on, straight leg in it. You know you're getting to a team win. Yeah, and you know what? They didn't score. They didn't draw a penalty. But you could just see. This is the long game. And they finally got some five-on-five hockey. It's what we thought we would see in this series, Agreed. Right? And, and the other thing we asked ourselves is, okay, like Dallas games one and two put on a clinic defensively. Did they have the wherewithal to do that for seven? Well, they didn't last night. They ran out of gas. Now, could they do it again in five? Sure. But they're starting to show fatigue. And I think playing more five-on-five is exactly what the Flames needed as they also started to play better and get to the higher traffic areas. But... They're the deeper team on paper, so everyone queued up the series before it started. They're starting to wear down the the opponent. And they they rely so heavily on four defensemen. Maybe five, but not really. They're they're a four defenseman team. And you look at Haskinen, you look at Klingberg, 24, 27 minutes. 27. It was 26, I believe, in game three for Haskinen, 27 last night. Klingberg, 24, 45. So, yeah, and I and guess suitors in that mix of the big yeah, minutes when yeah. you have a four minute shift, more or less. <laughs> but you know what? For just kind of a the last note on that shift and all of that, even Sutter afterwards, who is not one to give credit or any or point in any direction. He was asked about that stretch there. Quote, that was a hard shift for them. They iced it and had to keep them out there. A big point in the game there. And it was that was a because from that point on. To, to the point of being fatigued and all of that, the Flames just continued to grind away. And part of that also was Andrew Mangiapane took a penalty to kind of end that series, and that rubbed the coach the wrong way. There was, a bit, of a, the there was a bit of a veiled shot in the postgame about how there's still some young guys, need to know how to play, take a bad penalty. So that certainly rubbed, rubbed Daryl the wrong way. But... Um, it is what we thought we would have seen right from the start, and I agree. Game five, is, is there momentum? Is there any carryover? I'm not buying it, not in this series. All the other series have been up and down, and up and not all of them, but we've seen it in Toronto. We've seen it in the Edmonton series to Carolina, a certain point. Carolina, Boston, obviously, in a way. obviously not in the Colorado series. But how do you how do you predict in a series that has been this tight, this close? All you could, I would expect more of the same, frankly, is that it will be very close and maybe a one goal game or tied going into the third again. Yeah, and it'll be a grind again. They'll have to just position themselves and do the same things that they did in this past game, and they're going to have to be patient. It's not, it's probably not going to happen again, and Ottinger's probably going to make a pile of big saves again. But good on the Calgary Flames for just continually kind of going back to the well and doing the same thing. Start of the third period. You know, they've, they're in a good position. It's your top line that goes out there and has a phenomenal cycle shift early again. 
it wasn't as long as that pivotal one in the second period, but all of a sudden you're you're right back to it. You realize it's working. You realize it's chipping away, and and that'll show. That'll show in the next game. Even even that long shift, yeah. Everyone will rest off. Every, everyone will be ready to go. But over the course of a series, it makes a huge difference trapping teams in their own end. I feel like that shift could be a major turning point in the series. Like who knows? Maybe Ottinger hangs a zero, but. It just feels like the Flames are starting to play their best hockey and they can't, at this point, you can't doubt the buy-in because it's working now. Mm-hmm. I wonder And if- I think they've got, they got away, I thought, as well from chasing, settling scores and proving who's tougher. Like, to your point, the opening face-off was a part of that, but the star players remembered that the reason their team is good because they put the puck in the net, not because they were, you know, flexing, standing atop the turnbuckle, right? Yeah. What about the Lucic at center ice with Jamie Ben? Bieksa said afterwards, that's obviously you're, you're making a statement. So if you're going to call out our star guys and you're hungry to go, then we can go right now, is kind of paraphrasing how that conversation maybe went. Ben didn't have a lot to say, and I didn't think Jamie Ben was nearly as good as he was in games two and three. No, he, he was really pretty ineffective last night. Didn't see much of him. Haven't seen any of Radulov yet. Um Ooh. Tough year. I don't know why they put him back in. They put student each there in uh, game number three. I thought he was okay, right? But I mean, the, the the fact that we're talking about whether he's the twelfth or thirteenth forward yeah. tells you where Alex Radulov is in his career right now. He's a rough, rough year, and he's thirty five. It isn't. This isn't Alex Semin not trying in his late twenties. This is the end of the road for Alex Radulov. How about Jamie Ben? And refresh my memory because you guys have great sporting memories. He didn't really drop his mitts ever at the start of his career. Like he's always been a hard to play against kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's a great leader. The offense used to be there. Like he was a kind of a prolific goal scorer for a while. Did he ever really fight anybody? I sure don't remember it. I think honest, right? If if, yeah. if the situation called for it, he would go because he's he's a big guy. And I don't think he it wasn't overly controversial. But he was asked, obviously by the Dallas media. Well, you, know, you you wanted to go with Kachuk, and he didn't. What do you make of that? And he said, well, he's a smart kid. Which is a great line, right? Whatever. But I, I, I went back to watch. Did, did Ben even say, did he even engage with Lucic? And he didn't. Luch was right in his grill. 30 fights in his career. That's, now it's a long career. So, he knows so it's, what only he knows two, what he's doing. it's only two or three a year kind a, of thing. But He has a famous one with Iggy back in like 2010. Yeah, that was a, that was the one I remember. And Iggy's got the blood from his eye. Like that was like that was the Jamie Ben yeah. first well, fight. And I think Iggy thrived on those and almost needed that physical. It, like the, by the end of his career, teams were like, "Don't poke him, don't wake him up, leave him alone." If you engage him physically, you're going to get the best of him. I don't know that Ben's wired that way in the sense that you know he wins an Art Ross. He he shouldn't be fighting yeah, people. You need you. him on the ice. Yeah, if you're the Dallas Stars, you got all kinds of other Lugans that can do that work. This guy needs to be on the ice punishing teams on the power play. Ryan, I can't believe we got to this point. We're agreeing. We're already no, no. It's I mean, we're well into this segment, mm. and we've not yet asked Corey about the lineup mm. makeup for the team oh, last night. Here we Daryl buried the lead. Daryl Sutterth uh, during the morning skate had Brett Ritchie skating with a second line. Looked like a second line spot. Manjapani tumbling down. Well, this is this looks like it's going to be a big night for Brett Ritchie. Game comes around. Brett Ritchie is a healthy scratch. Michael Stone comes into the game. They're going with 11 forwards and seven defensemen. 
And last week, just last <laughs> week, Corey Sarich, former NHL defenseman, you said one of the things you hated most as a player was having 7D. Why would you ever go 11 and 7? It's the worst thing ever. I did say it and I stick by it. <laughs> Daryl, what a genius. He's proven me wrong again. And what was your rationale behind it? It's just because you get out of oh, sync? I or... just I don't like it because it doesn't get enough of the guys into the game. There's no like, rhythm. You get new partners I, all the well, time. I didn't like it because I was usually one of the two guys that wasn't really Having into the game. Having to give up your shifts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Selfishly, I don't. I I want to be. You want to be out there. What, what what game was that in that we saw that we reacted to? We reacted to it. Was it was it Edmonton that used an extra D or L A? Yeah, Edmonton to... with Nurse coming back. Right. That's what it they was. They weren't yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Bring in seven for warm up. Uh, he looks like a genius last night, and like you guys alluded to earlier, Michael Stone doesn't doesn't miss a beat. He has been like, how many more times does this guy have to prove himself? We can't appreciate it as guys that didn't play, right? And That's got to be so hard. I, I saw him underneath. I see him underneath the rink all the time when I'm doing a little bit of post game with with Brendan Parker, and he just has a great attitude. It seems like nothing phases this guy. He's excited to be in the league. He's excited to be part of a team. He had eight shots last night. He has been a flame for how many years now? Since the trade that he came with the, what, the same year as Mike Smith. Yeah. And he gets crapped on over and over, and he just goes about his, his business, does his job. Like he's, he's a pretty special seventh defenseman. You don't, you, don't, you don't find guys like that. And remember, too, he had the blood clot issue a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. It looked like his career was over. Then he comes back. You don't, Last minute PTOs. Yeah, you don't play for weeks at a time. And then you come in and you are expected, especially now, to come in in this type of a series with the intensity and the checking as high and as tight as this one is. I, again, all, all I can do is defer to guys like you. That cannot be an easy thing. And he made it look relatively easy. Here's his first four games of the year. October 28 at Pittsburgh. That's on that big, one of those two big road trips to start the year. Okay, probably a back-to-back in there. Get stone some ice. December 5, it was the Stone Bowl in Vegas. He comes back in to play against his brother. That's often been a thing with Daryl. It points in the season where there might not be a lot of, okay, well, we'll add a little spice here. And then Shillington gets hurt, that awkward fall into the end wall, his second in like a week, and yeah. finally he's out of the lineup. And it was, here you are now in March, two games in two nights, and he's 18 minutes a pop playing with Tano. Like, what? Yeah. Games three and four of the year in March. And you get put right on a pair where you're expected to play the other team's top players. And obviously we Detroit know Detroit and Colorado, the two teams. Yeah. We we know what kind of a player Michael Stone is, but he goes out there and and he's not not the best skater and obviously not the worst. And he doesn't he doesn't struggle. Like I rarely do you see him struggle out there. He, positionally he's sound and I know that defense first is his makeup. But still, it's not an easy thing to do. It's probably an easier thing to do this year than any year previously on the Calgary Flames because of their overall structure. Mm-hmm. So coming in is not as overwhelming as it probably has been in previous years. The Flames are kind of a wild card as to which team was going to show up, but you get the same effort over and over. I was loving it last night, though. His first couple, to, he gets the puck, he, that big wind-up, and I'm like, oh, here we go, and he drops the guy. I'm like, yes, he's already making an impact. Yeah, yeah, you that, sure? That, and he dropped two or three guys last night that were blocking the folding guys. And, and obviously it's, he's he's been told, shoot the puck. 100%. Michael Stone on his own isn't shooting it eight times. Like, his, his season high was three. 
right? In a game. And you go back to when he started to get uh, power play time there at the end of the year, like you said, when Shillington went out and he actually got some power play points there. Shoot the puck, Mike. Shoot it. If, and you're right. Not, if, you, if, if, you, if you want to block it, it's coming. If you realize what you got, why wouldn't you tell him to get out there and do it? Like, there'd be other coaches that probably wouldn't encourage that, but if you got a shot like that, yeah. Now, let her fly. You, you alluded to it. I think the, the most probably impressive part, and you'd know we don't, but I think to be in the state of mind where you're okay with barely playing for like what feels like almost a half decade, like to have the attitude, most guys would be done with it. Like, I remember we saw Curtis Glenn Cross go to Colorado on a PTO. Didn't go well. He could have got another job, but he's like, no, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. You have to really, it takes a certain mental makeup to be able to do it, to to hardly play for four months and not just have doubt creep in and be like, why am I doing this? And we've had so many year after year of this. And we've had so many guys tell us when you're that guy, you're on the team, but you don't, a lot of times you don't feel like you're part of the team. You're skating after the other guys are done their morning skate and after practice and you don't. You don't have that same feel when you're not playing, obviously. Yeah, and on certain certain teams, for like guys that were injured or guys that weren't in the lineup, your seventh defenseman, seen and not heard, right? You're just like you're kind of doing your yeah. doing your thing, but you're in at other times, out there for practice. You don't get as many reps, and then I just can't believe that he he must feel like crap sometimes. Like that was the biggest thing. You can you can be at practice speed all you want. You can take care of yourself off the ice and work out like a fiend and ride the bike and be in phenomenal shape, but it does not translate to game speed and being on the ice. So the fact that he makes it look like he hasn't missed a beat, credit to him. Lots more. We do have to get out of here. we got Frank Cervelli standing by. One last thing. Well, we talk about him being a seven. He started the season as an eight. Yusuf Alamaki played eight games this year before he got in one. It's incredible. Other things uh, to discuss yet. I, I wonder the view from the other side. What bonus it afterwards? We wasted an incredible goaltending performance. I wonder what this does now because we were so focused on the Flames side. How do they feel now? Because as big a win as this feels for the Flames and their fans, you have to feel like maybe you had a real opportunity to go up 3-1. Your goalie gave you 50 saves and you couldn't get it done. That and more coming up. Our NHL insider, though, Frank Saravelli. He's next. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This hour brought to you by Spruce It Up Garden Center, your one-stop shop. The best plants, trees, pots, and decor, greenest grass. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. They got you covered. Adnan Verk in about an hour. Flames victorious in Dallas, 4-1, to one, evening the series. Getting that home ice thing back. It's going to be a wild scene at the Dome tomorrow. 7.30 puck drop at the Saddle Dome. Which is a nice improvement for me. We can all agree. Yeah, I'll take it. So much, Coach, you ate soccer. Perfect. Let's go. Time for our NHL Insiders, Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Good morning, Frank. Good to talk to you, buddy. We were, I threw this at Pinder earlier this morning, and I think I know the answer. The first round is its so exciting. There's so much going on. I'm kind of surprised there aren't more overtime games. We saw one last night for about five minutes worth. But I feel like... If we here in Calgary weren't so heavily invested in Flames versus Stars, 
Is this, in terms of watchability for an average fan, is this at or near the bottom of the uh, opening round series? Among the very worst that I can remember. <laughs> no drama. I mean, that that's really been the key is so many blowouts. You know, the large majority of the games in the first round to this point have been decided by three or more goals. Like, where's the fun in that? Yeah, it's... And I feel like there's still, because of the two twos, there's still time to ratchet that up, and we could have some some real good sixes and sevens. But uh, outside of Dallas and Calgary, they seem to be uh, putting up all kinds of goals. Last night, another tight affair. You, you look at if you didn't watch, you see four one. Oh, well, this is uh, is it was so, I don't know. I, I'm nervous. It was it was a tight game nearly to the finish. The Flames finally do break through. They get 54 shots on net, and now you wonder is there carryover from game to game do you have such a thing as momentum because it doesn't it won't mean a whole lot if you then come home and lose but i do wonder if maybe the flames are starting to chip away uh if not emotionally but physically on the stars and their defense yeah i I felt like as close as last night was the flames really kind of cracked the code didn't they like their start to that game um you know, as well as Jake Ottinger played and as ridiculous as he was, even in the first period and beyond 50 saves, I, I personally felt like the Flames were in control the entire game from start to finish. And it, it was only a matter of when and not if they'd break through because you have an effort like that. You put up basically back-to-back 20-shot periods, all-out assault, uh, very limited, sustained offensive zone time and possession for the Stars. Um, it just felt like the Flames woke up on Monday and decided they weren't going to be denied. And it was sort of the moment for a Flames fan all series long that you've been waiting for to say, that's it. That's the team that we know. That's the team that's going to be successful. It took them four games to get to that point to really feel good about it. But I think coming home, they're in a fantastic spot to grab game five. Momentum, to answer your your point or question, does not exist game to game. But I feel like the Flames at least now have a blueprint in terms of how to attack Dallas. It was a big night for Johnny Gaudreau. He's faced a lot of criticism over the years for an, an, an inability to perform when it matters. He was, uh, he was, it was a statement game for him last night. It was a signature moment. It was um, because you even look at the way that first period played out and that hit um, that, you know, really was clean. Um, and and the, the stars ended up getting a penalty for it. Um, when you, you look back on it, the Nemestikov hit, he was really shaken up. Um, I believe when he left the bench at that point in the first period that, he probably went to, to go get concussion tested uh, and probably for good reason. And for him to come back out flying the way that he did, uh, for him to, to nail that penalty shot, it just, it, he really needed that. As much as the Flames needed it to be in that spot and to, to, to basically you know, take the lead and, and get a little bit of breathing room, a chance to exhale, he needed it. Um, and so now, you know, sort of the monkey's off the back a little bit. You know, Kachuk picks up another assist. Uh, things just looked better all the way around. And you kind of go into 
um, to game five, you know, getting a little bit of depth scoring finally. You know, you got a Backlund goal at the end. Um, you got an Anderson goal in the second period. All of a sudden, some of these question marks that were hanging around the team have sort of dissipated a bit as they come back home. We can move on. The uh, I, I did not expect that we would be seeing a Louis Domingue versus Igor Shosturkin series where, where, where Domingue has the better numbers. Not and close. And he's what, got three wins now. He's leading the, the playoffs in victories. Wild. I would not be more surprised if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, to, to quote Christmas Vacation. Like, I, I just – I – it's not even so much Deming in that, yes, his story has been special, but when you talk to people that are in the know on the goalie game, like Mike McKenna at Daily Faceoff, he was like, the difference between Casey DeSmith and Louis Deming, it, there is none. Like, they are the same talent level, same everything. Pittsburgh has played incredibly well in front of him. Their defense was rock solid uh, in game four. They didn't give up a lot. And – it's not hot take at all. You know, I, I saw a lot of people pushing back against the idea that, um, you know, Shesterkin shouldn't have been pulled. I, I don't, I don't really care what it looks like in front of you. If you're giving up six, you're, you're not, that's not good enough. And so, you know, Shesterkin as poorly and as porous as the Rangers have played in front of him, they haven't really gotten the stops. You know, even thinking back to to the triple overtime game, uh, Shesterkin was excellent as it went on and on. But you need your goaltender to lift you up there. You need to make sure you don't give up the OT winner to a Pittsburgh team that's depleted that has their third goalie in net and made a change, you know, midway through the second OT. The fact that he's been pulled twice now in this series has been one of the real surprise developments of the playoffs. Frank, could this be possibly, you know, the Rangers come off a very hot season. They've got a very hot goaltender. But has the Pittsburgh Penguins' playoff experience been overlooked going into this matchup? Like, this is a team that's laden with guys that have proven themselves over and over, and I don't think they were given a lot of respect. Has that factored in at all in this series? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I think in, in a triple overtime game, I think it does. Um and I do think the Penguin or the the Rangers, especially some of their young guys on their blue line, really were kind of awestruck and looking around a bit in that game one at the Garden. I, I felt like that narrative and storyline was a bit overrated heading into the playoffs. And um, you know, you look at the way it's played out. It, I don't know if it's necessarily been experience or if it's been just pure domination from Sidney Crosby and his line. Like that's been the one thing the Rangers have had zero answer for. And yes, Sidney Crosby has two con Smites and three Stanley cups. And that experience, you know, certainly is a, is a benefit when it gets to this time of year, but they've just been flat out outplayed. So I don't know if it necessarily comes down to the experience so much as it is the Rangers just haven't been very good. 
Yeah, or are or are you one of those are you one of those Philly guys that uh, oh. that, that hates oh. the Penguins? Because there are a few of you guys. Well, uh, see, here's the thing with Philly: we don't discriminate. We hate everyone. Okay, that fair enough. Uh, so it's Rangers and Penguins. Like you're not. There's no love in the city for either franchise. Yeah, okay. Santa Claus gets it. Everyone gets it. That's how it goes, right? It's, yeah, exactly. It's kind of uncanny too, though, how Sidney Crosby, kind of his timing throughout the years, can tend to play some of his best hockey heading into the playoffs we've seen it time and time again and he just seems to be doing it one more time i think it was really a forgotten storyline as you know the last 40 games or so of the season played out even the last quarter of the season i as i was filling out my heart trophy ballot and i penciled johnny gaudreau's name in there and and sent it in uh he's occupying one of the five spots on my heart trophy list, I, I was like, what do I do with Sidney Crosby? You know, he didn't have the monster season that everyone else did in terms of point production. But if you look at true value, especially the way that he closed out the season, I think it was something like 47 points in his last 26 games. Um, he was lights out down the stretch and he got better and better as the season went on in that, you know, he started the year with a little bit of an injury. Then he had COVID, and it was like just couldn't get going and really kind of pedestrian numbers for Crosby. But when you look at where it ended up, you know, as good a season for his age as, as really one could expect to have and then gets to the playoffs and goes next level, just a reminder for everyone, hey, breaking news, Sidney Crosby's still good. Thank you for that. That's yeah, why you're the NHL insider. Put that on the billboard there. there. <laughs> spread that message. Frank Valley, our guest. Thank you. Uh, Frank, two teams that probably regretting opportunities missed. Uh, Capitals had the Panthers down a goal with less than three to play last night and the chance to go up 3-1 in the series against the President's Trophy winner. And on Sunday, it was the Canes who had a lead against the Bruins who were without their top pair. They'd made their goalie switch. Uh, who's regretting or lamenting what could have been more, Carolina or Washington? It's got to be Washington, Ryan. Like, that Garnet Hathaway empty net miss with, like, three minutes left that hits the side of the net. Like, that's how close the Florida Panthers are from being on the ropes down 3-1 heading into game five on home ice on Wednesday. And what I love about the Caps, and, and frankly, I still think they have a chance to win this series in another one of those breaking news moments for a series tied 2-2, but when you look at the way that they've played, they've been absolutely militant in their approach. Completely comfortable with 16 shots on goal. I love the interview, and I'm not sure if you guys saw it, with Evgeny Kuznetsov after the game. He said, we'll have time for offense in beer league hockey in the summer. Like, that's a guy that stepped up and scored an enormous goal last night. He's back to doing that... Uh, albatross or whatever you call that wave uh after he wings and scores the eagle whatever whatever you want to call it and they've got swagger but they've also dug in and they've made life absolutely miserable for the florida panthers i don't care if they win you know game four last night the panthers don't look themselves to me and until they do I, I'm kind of sticking with the Caps and the way that they've played in this series. 
I want to get your thoughts before we uh, we run out of time. Barry Trotz, a bit of a shocker yesterday, let go as the head coach of the New York Islanders. What's your read there as, hey, Lou does what Lou does, and he said, uh, he was asked about, did you, did you talk to players? Did you canvas anybody about the, no, I would never do that. This was a Lou move. What do you see uh, as the rationale there with Trotz leaving? Well, I don't know if it was exactly honest in what he said about not talking to players correct me if I'm wrong, he did just conduct exit interviews. And so if there was any sort of emanating sense of unhappiness or displeasure with the way Barry Trotz had gone about his business, then I would imagine players may or may not have expressed that in their interviews. Um, That said, I don't know why anyone would have a bad thing to say about Barry Trotz. Um, He wins. You know, he he's consistent in his approach. He takes time to, you know, really get to know his players and, and find out, you know, I think he's the best blend of, of old school and new school in that communication regard. He's full of class and respect. Um, and, and you look at his track record on Long Island, comes in and takes a team that had never really done anything in the last few decades and brings them to two consecutive Eastern Conference Finals. They have a rough year to start, played 600 hockey down the stretch, and fought like dogs in the last few weeks of the season when they had nothing to play for. And they show them the door. I think not only, you know, I think there was a sense initially right away, it was like, oh, was this thing maybe more mutual than we might have imagined. And I think there were some rumblings out there. How much does Barry Trotz want to coach next year? Will he continue on? And I, by all accounts, from speaking to people close to Barry Trotz, this came as an absolute shock on Monday. And to hear, you know, what the next, what the reasoning is or why, or I think I find it really disappointing that Lou Lamorello feels like he doesn't have to answer for it to say, you know, I'd rather not discuss the reasons and use the old tried and true, we need a new voice excuse. Because this is a successful, accomplished coach that was under contract for one more season. And it feels like Lou Lamorello holds everyone accountable except for himself. But it's also, I heard Elliot and Jeff talking about this yesterday, Lou would value and hold those one-on-one meetings with players as like, that's not for anyone else. That's entirely, that's, that's confidential. So he's not going to say, well, this, you know, Matthew Barzell was upset that he feels he's being muted offensively. Like he's not going to tell you that. Right. And and I feel like that's great. How much deflection is there from the GM job? How much deflection is there from the GM job? Like, is this not a classic, oh, my team's not great? Like, I need to turn everyone's attention away from me collecting 30-year-old overpaid guys? Uh, well, that's, that's part of it, I think, for sure. Is like, Let's talk about roster construction, then, if you want to talk about accountability. I don't view anything that happened last year as Barry Trotz's fault. And to think that um, you can fire him and then not answer any questions and just say, shrug and say, well, we needed a new voice, and I'm not going to tell you, like, the accountability has to work both ways, you know, and, and, uh, and that doesn't mean in order to explain yourself, you need to betray people's confidence in order to do that. I don't think that's the case at all. You can explain your reasoning, your thought process, and it can still be all your decision, but you need to give a little more than 
you know, say whatever you think you, you, you need you as little as you need to say, and then just get away with it because you're Lou Lamorello. Pivotal games tonight. Is there any one of these series that kind of stands out to you more off the, the Toronto Tampa one's been wild because both teams have a pair of wins and look great in the process to a lesser extent, Edmonton and LA Boston goes into Carolina after being down. Oh, two now, no McAvoy Hampus Lindholm. That's two of their top defensemen that are out. And then this, the blues wild. It's been, that one's been a dog fight. It's been, it's been tight. So I guess walk us through what we'll see tonight. So there is an outside chance. I'm told that Charlie McAvoy is actually available for game five tonight. We'll have to wait and see. It all depended on how he woke up this morning and what his symptoms were like uh, before the Bruins potentially fly him down to Raleigh. Um, I Personally, when I look at these four series tied at 2-2, it's, this game is critical for the Maple Leafs. I could see any one of these other teams in any of the three other series lose game five and come back and win game six and seven but I don't know that I see the Toronto Maple Leafs beating the Tampa Bay Lightning twice in a row. First off, they just don't lose. They're 16-0 and coming off of a loss. They don't lose, and all of a sudden you get to a game seven and you know, you're getting all the feels again from the Toronto Maple Leafs and everything that's gone on there over the last number of years. So got to win game five, got to go to – to Tampa later this week on Thursday and, and put the heat on to try and close it out. So um, I could see St. Louis coming back and winning uh, even the wild, you know, I could see um, the Oilers losing game five tonight against the Kings and they come back and win two straight. They all have the ability. Same thing with either the Bruins or the Canes. I just don't know that the Leafs do. Interesting note on Boston, Lindholm skating as well. If you get your top pair back, and uh-huh. I think they have got to their best goalie, man, Carolina, you had some chances to put this team away. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, we were talking late last week, heading into the weekend. By the time we came back and did our show again on Monday, would, would the Bruins season still be alive? And is it ever? I mean, what they withstood uh, injury-wise, uh, Lindholm, as you mentioned, out, McAvoy, COVID, uh, to see someone like Connor Clifton step up, to see that perfection line, you know, be absolutely perfect, to see um, their special teams go on a tear. The real thing is, can the Bruins win or do better compete-wise at even strength? Because Carolina's dominated the series at even strength. If Carolina can stay out of the box, Uh, I think they've got a real good shot to take a lead back to Boston to try and win it on Thursday. And last one for you in, uh, it's just a guess, has Philip Forsberg played his final game in Nashville? You know, I would say no, but the way that he exited the ice, not sure if you saw the clip, uh, but it's out there on social media, and he really took a lot longer lap than anyone else and looked seemingly at every corner of Bridgestone arena. And that's not to say that, you know, it's a definite that he's gone, but sometimes these players know a lot more than they let on. And he he, only, he knows the tenor of these talks. Um, I think the Preds have a lot of questions to answer. Like, where's that team going after being swept in the first round? Yes, they didn't have UC Soros, but they've got a ton of long-term contracts that are not good looks even as some of those guys had bounce back seasons. Um, and, and, you know, where's the, 
how does this team get to be anything more than a first round punching bag or on the fringe of the playoffs in the next number of years? Clearly having Philip Forsberg would help them get to that next level, but you need to properly surround yourself with other talent. And if you're dishing out 9 million bucks or more to Forsberg, well, it just further limits what else you can do with the rest of your group. So I would tend to lean towards yes. After watching that video, Nashville out, Colorado through, and now Minnesota and St. Louis still have to finish their war before they face a, a arrested huh. and very confident Avs group. Uh, man, that's that's a daunting look for the Blues or the Wild. It, it is, although I will say that statistically and historically, the team that's had a long time off, and if those teams go seven, you're looking at a seven-day break for the Colorado Avalanche. They've looked bonkers like Kel McCarr last night was his 81st game of the season he hit 31 goals three point three goals in the series in four games 10 points leading the playoffs McKinnon has been next level everything about that team looks terrifying and yeah to think that they're finally healthy for the first time Kemper will be better uh, after that eye injury or near eye injury I would not want to face that team in round two. I just always wonder about that rust factor that just seems to catch teams and, and frankly seemed to catch them last year after a pretty quick, pretty quick first-round series. Appreciate you, Frank. Have a good week. We'll catch up again on Tuesday. Sounds good, boys. Enjoy it. You betcha. Be good, buddy. Frank Saravalli, NHL Insider, brought to you by South Trail Exports. Inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Hour 3 coming up, we'll talk to Adnan Verk. We will reset and get back to the Flames and their 4-1 win last night. A huge victory for the Flames as they return home now in a best of three this hour. Brought to you by Spruce It Up Garden Center, your one-stop shop for the best plants, trees, pots, and decor and greenest grass. Spruce it up, green it up, prune it up. They got you covered. Sportsnet 960, the fan.